Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Nathan, and I'm here with my co-host, Karen Milliken. Do you still have to think about my new last name? I do. I mean, if you haven't noticed, I've called you Karen Henson a couple of times in just this week, I think. Is it bad that I didn't notice it? N- no, but but I, but guess who did notice it? My husband. Yeah, that's right. My- <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so, Karen, how long have you been married now? I am a marriage expert of two months. Two months. <laughs> All right, yeah. so wax eloquent. What's the key to marriage? Help our audience. Well, we had a mattress mishap where we were sleeping on a full-size bed. I don't Ooh. actually want to talk about it, but apparently the key to marriage is a bigger bed. Yes. You're right. (laughs) Margaret and I have a California king bed. You know, if we were settling not in a itty bitty apartment, we would have that too. But I don't think that would fit through the door of where we currently live. So one day. Okay. That's my marriage advice to all of you people out there. Get a bigger bigger bed. bed. Sleep is super important. You should prioritize it. That's awesome. Hey, uh, do you know what we're doing today? Oh, that's awesome. Did you even listen to this talk that the audience is about to hear? No. (laughs) I will listen with you all. Okay, that's good. So what you're about to hear is a talk that I was privileged to give to our community leaders and our community shepherds a few weeks ago, just talking to them about discipleship. So I cover four different questions. The first one is, what is Christian discipleship? The second one is, who is a disciple? And that's what's going to be covered in this talk that you'll hear today. Then next week, we're going to do, who is the disciple maker? And then in two weeks, we'll release the one that is, what's our responsibility in discipleship to Jesus? So this is going to be a three-part deal on discipleship. We hope you enjoy it. I'm excited to be here with you tonight. To be honest with you, it's been a really long day for me. I've, in fact, this feels weird because I was up here this morning teaching Summit at like 6.30 in the morning. And I hadn't really stopped today. <clears throat> so <laughs> if I pass out, then somebody come, you know, get me off the stage. <laughs> um, but anytime I get to talk about discipleship, I get my second wind for sure. So this is, this is an area of study that I've uh, taken really seriously for a long time. I've thought about it a lot and am just excited to be able to walk through this stuff with you. So what I'm about to do is to answer four distinct questions. As I was thinking about, hey, if kind of the cream of the crop of Watermark comes in here and our leaders and our community shepherds and our community group leaders, what do you tell this group of people? Which is good to think about. And as I was thinking the other day, I was like, well, I think we have to lay a foundation, a good, solid biblical theology of discipleship. We have to lay that foundation so that everything we do fits through the lens of that foundation. Everything we do goes through that paradigm. And what's fascinating to me as somebody who's been thinking about discipleship for a long time is say you get 10 people into a room and you ask each one of them individually, what is discipleship? And who is a disciple? You you might get some fairly common or answers that reflect one another, but you're also going to see a lot of differences, which is so fascinating to me because Jesus gives us a commission, right? In Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples. And yet I found anyway, 
that in a lot of circles, a lot of evangelical circles, a lot of people don't even know what that is. <laughs> or, they're, or they're confused about it. It's like, uh, okay, yeah, go make disciples. What is that? You know, like, what are we supposed to do? And so the first thing we're going to do tonight is, is answer the question, what is Christian discipleship? The second question we're going to answer is, who is a disciple? The third question is, who is the disciple maker? And then the fourth question we're going to answer is, what's our responsibility in all of this? So for the first one, we're going to say, uh, discipleship is not a higher level of commitment. So how many of you guys have been in, or maybe this is your current view, where you think a Christian is somebody who's down here that's kind of like always stuck, you know, it's like, oh, he's in a ditch again, you know, or maybe somebody that we would just call like a convert. But as soon as you start talking about a disciple, it's like, all right, now we're in like special forces Christianity. You know what I'm saying? It's like higher level of commitment. It's almost like you get that sense of, yeah, that person is just a regular Christian, but dadgum, man. I mean, some of y'all, like I look at Kyle Thompson, I'm like, bro, that brother's a disciple. You know what I'm saying? It's this concept that we have that uh, in order to be a disciple, you kind of have to be more serious about your faith than other people, which is common, but that's crazy. And it's crazy for a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons it's crazy is because how do you measure that? A lot of people measure it by what they currently are good at in their own life. Like Larry Osborne said in Accidental Pharisees, which I encourage you guys to pick up and read. Most are unaware that their definition of a genuine and mature Christian bears an uncanny resemblance to their own current walk with God. Right? Or the inverse of that might be true. It might be something that you struggle in, but somebody else is good at, and you're like, hey, because I struggle in this and they do good at that, then that makes them a disciple. But it's totally subjective. And frankly, too, it's really dysfunctional because it breeds a lot of pride in people. Comparison. And Jesus is not about that. So... Discipleship is not just a higher level of commitment. It's not the special forces of Christianity. Secondly, disciple is not just biblical or theological knowledge. I mean, daggum, if it was that, then the Pharisees would have been the top disciples in the first century. I mean, they knew the text. They knew the text way better than anybody else around. And yet these are the very people that Jesus is in conflict with the most. And so you can't just have the transfer of knowledge to somebody to where they're like, okay, yeah, I get that. So now I'm a disciple. Now that I can answer these questions or wax eloquent on the hypostatic union or whatever it is, like in order to be a disciple, you have to know the word supralapsarianism. Anybody know that one? That's your, that's your $500 word, right? So if you just transfer knowledge to somebody, then maybe that person will become a disciple. Maybe it's just like biblical literacy. Have you read the Bible? Do you memorize the Bible? How much of the Bible do you know? How much of it can you transmit to other people? Like we think of these things like that. Uh, another one is what discipleship is not, is it's not a bunch of different types of training programs. So somebody might be like, well, regeneration is discipleship. You know, or equip disciple is discipleship or re-engage is discipleship. 
And what ends up happening is a lot of times people will enter into a programmatic type solution to some kind of angst that they're feeling or area that is less developed in their life. And they'll go into these programs and then they'll experience a measure of growth, which for them means either a behavior that's holding them back or, or weighing them down. They learn to manage it better. Or they'll go into something like Equip Disciple and be like, well, I don't really know how to pray. I don't really know how to read my Bible. I don't know, I don't know these things. And so they'll start to learn how to do them. And then they'll think, oh, now I must be a disciple. And because they experience a measure of growth, they will end up thinking that the methodology that they went through in order to gain these skills is discipleship. And so the methodology becomes their definition of discipleship, which breeds this really weird us versus them mentality. Like, well, have you done regen? No, huh? <laughs> You're not a disciple, you know? <laughs> or you never done equipped disciple or whatever it is. I mean, you, you fill in the blank. Then uh, it can be like, well, because you didn't do it this way, you must not be doing it. Or you're not doing it right. And then lastly, and I think I saved this one for last because... This is, uh, I think for us and our culture and our DNA here at Watermark is probably the most dangerous for all of us, especially the people sitting in this room. Because a lot of people will associate discipleship with ministry activity. What are you doing? What are you not doing? How much of what you're doing are you doing? (laughs) How successful at the things that you're doing and how much you're doing, how successful are you at it? And if you are successful, you must be good. And so we have this ministry activity mindset that says, hey, as long as I'm getting after it, as long as I'm serving, as long as I'm sharing my faith, as long as I'm doing X, Y, and Z, the metric for discipleship and who a disciple is ends up being measured by how much you do. And none of those things are bad. Right? So I don't want you to hear me say, uh, you should not be very committed or not know anything about the Bible or not go through these various training programs and, and really don't do anything, okay? Don't hear me say that. What I'm saying is, is to equate any of these things or all of these things with the totality of discipleship is reductionistic and overly simplistic. And frankly, it can lead to a lot of error. And things get weird because we're just off, right? So now I'm going to turn and go, all right, well, then what is discipleship? And the answer to that is discipleship is fundamentally relational. It's fundamentally about a relationship between you and the creator of the universe. So the call to follow Jesus is not an invitation to the scriptures, If you're a Jew in the first century, Jesus was not calling people to faithfulness to Torah. He wasn't calling them to faithfulness to a code or a way of life. He wasn't calling them to gain more knowledge. He wasn't calling them even necessarily to have behavioral external change. He was calling them to himself. So Kyle mentioned Acts 4.13, which is an awesome verse. I, I would say mine in that regard, the one that's kind of touched deeply to me is, is Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. 
where Jesus looks at his disciples and this crowd, come to me. Not come to Torah, not come to the Bible, not come to a certain way of doing things, not coming to an oral tradition or a, or a Christian subculture that has its own rules and ways of measuring things. Jesus said, come to me. That is fascinating. Matthew chapter five, verse 17. I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I came to fulfill them. And then John 5.39, which is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, uh, Jesus is going, hey guys, you search the scriptures because in them you think you're going to find eternal life. But it's these scriptures that testify about me. Do you understand how crazy a claim that is? Basically, Jesus is going, hey, Israel, I know you've been hanging out with Yahweh for a couple of millennia, right? Um, And that he's given you his law and that he's interacted with you and he's promised to be with you and he's made covenant with you and he's given you the Davidic king and he's given you the law that you keep. And this is, and oh, by the way, Jesus shows up and goes, yeah, all of that is about me. All of it is about me. You know, it's crazy because in a lot of ways, we really are the spiritual descendants of the Pharisees because one of the dangers for our tradition, especially is we consider the Trinity like God, the father and God, the son and God, the Holy Bible, because we can be so devoted to the text that we miss out on the fact that the text itself is pointing to a person. And that person makes the claim, the entire text is about me. So look, guys, if we're reading the Bible and saturating ourselves with the Bible and passing the Bible on to other people, but we're not relating to a person, that actually becomes a really complicated form of, well, what Evagrius the Younger would call, which y'all are like, who's Evagrius the Younger? He's an old dude. He's been dead for a long time, right? But Evagrius says that that is actually demonic because you're, you're using words about God, but you're not actually interacting with God. That's a problem. If we're doing discipleship like that, we're doing it wrong. So everything we do should point beyond the text to the person, to the man, the incarnate word of God who claimed that all of it was about him. Here's a definition for you that I think is a solid, just a helpful way to think about what discipleship is. It is living in union with Christ. Man, I could do a, yeah, we need to do a whole series on that. Like that's just talking about the, the union in an intimate relationship with Christ that is essential to, Uh, discipleship to him. It is actually the core. Um, Christianity is not about moral behavior or or, uh, adherence to an ethical code. It's about literally entering into the divine life. And Jesus says about that, I am the way. And so we enter in through the power of the Holy Spirit 
and the atoning work of Jesus into an actual experience of God in the divine life. So it's living in union with Christ and then growing in conformity to his image as the spirit transforms the disciple from the inside out. So if we are thinking about discipleship in terms of externals only, we are not going far enough. Jesus did not come to change your behavior. He didn't come to teach you how to live a new way only on the outside. Ultimately, what Jesus came to do is to give you a new heart. He wants to change you on the inside. So much of our uh, kind of Christian teaching and Christian practice is built uh, sometimes around this idea that if you just build a fence high enough around this rabid dog, right? Then if you just build a fence high enough, then the rabid dog like won't get out and hurt itself and other people. And so it's like, well, I know you... I know you're struggling over here. Maybe you should like, maybe y'all should do this accountability thing and help, help one another. And, and uh, maybe, maybe you could do this, put this other thing in place where hopefully you won't do it next time. And when we do that kind of stuff and we don't dig deeper into the actual internal reality and the internal uh, way that the person is formed, all we're doing is building a really high fence where the rabid dog can't get out. But we fail to realize that no matter how high you build the fence, the dog in the inside is still a rabid dog. Jesus didn't come to make sure the rabid dog didn't get out. He came to turn the rabid dog into a dog that doesn't need a fence. Because it's not a danger to itself and others. Jesus is talking about that kind of transformation internal. He wants your desires to change. And so we can never go, I used to do that, but now I do this over here. That is the wrong metric because somebody used to do this and now they don't do it anymore. There are all kinds of reasons and false motivators that would drive them not to do that behavior anymore, but they still want to. That's the problem. Real transformation by the Spirit is that not only does your behavior begin to change, but the reason your behavior begins to change is because your taste buds are changing. Not only do you not do this anymore, you increasingly don't want to do it anymore. And until we're talking about discipleship on that level, we are not talking about Christian discipleship. We're talking about behavioral modification. We're talking about Christian moralism. We're talking about helping people behave better in the name of Jesus. But the problem is when somebody's behaving better in their own strength, the thing that's missing from that is Jesus. Sorry, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna simmer down. <laughs> uh, you know, around here, sometimes people, will, they'll call me a caged lion. That's what they say. They're like, dude, put the line back in the cage, man. So, <laughs> but man, that's so important, right? Discipleship is the spirit-driven process of growth from spiritual birth to maturity that ends in the glorification of the one God has purposed to save. So I'm gonna give you a really short definition of what discipleship is, okay? Y'all ready for this? Discipleship is the Christian life. When Jesus, by his spirit, regenerates 
a sinner and that person is brought into the family of God, into the kingdom of God, where Jesus is the king. When that happens, then the spirit begins this work underneath. He's approaching the disciple from behind. He's coming up underneath us to push up all of our dysfunction and malformation to the surface so that he can deal with our internal disorientation away from God. That's where the spirit is working. And I promise you, when the spirit is doing that and the disciple is cooperating with the spirit's work in that person's life, that person cannot not change. It's literally impossible. That's why in Philippians 1, uh, which is this hugely comforting verse, I think should be for all of us, Paul says, the one who began a good work in you, he will complete it. Isn't that cool? Especially for some of you guys who may, you may have walked in here and been like, man, I, I'm not sure he's going to complete it in me. Yeah, he will. He may not be going at your speed or the way you want him to, but he is working nevertheless. And he loves you. Yeah, he loves you. Okay, one last point on this, and then we'll move to the second question. We have to distinguish between Jesus' concept of discipleship and his methodology. So we are married to Jesus' concept of discipleship, but his methodology can shift and change. So Jesus' concept of disciple is somebody who has entered into the family of God, is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, of the kingdom of God, and is progressively uh, growing through the stages of development into full maturity in Christ. That's Jesus' concept of discipleship. It doesn't ever change. That's what's happening by the work of the Spirit. Now, what does change is what does that specifically look like in each person's life? And the answer to that is, I don't know. There's a bunch of people in here and there are a bunch of different methods of discipleship that the Holy Spirit is using right now to disciple you. So it totally depends on your life stage, on the ways that you've been disoriented away from God and the ways that you image God in ways that are unhealthy. So it could be that regen is part of the methodology for your discipleship to Jesus. Great, maybe it's re-engage, maybe it's equipped disciple, maybe it's, I mean, for sure it's your community group, right? The one another's of scripture. And so while we are Committed to the concept of discipleship, we also appreciate that the methodology of discipleship shifts and changes over time and according to the needs of the actual individual. So whenever somebody comes up and says, hey, I need this great discipleship book, I'm always kind of at a loss of what to say because I'm like, well, who, who is it? What are they like? What life stage are they in? What do they believe about God? What about, like I'm asking all these questions because that's going to change the answer that I'm going to give to this person, this recommendation I'm going to make, because there is no one size fits all. Thanks for listening to the Equipping Podcast. As always, if you liked it, subscribe, tell your friends, shout it from the rooftops, Mm -hmm. distribute it among the nations. If you have questions, email us at equippingpodcast at watermark.org and Nathan will be happy to respond. Ponta, ta, ethne, all the nations. I was like, (laughs) I I think he's gone crazy. Someone come help me. Uh, Help us push this resource to all the nations. All right. You have your task. Bye. Peace.